morning. It is Mark 14, 12 through 25. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And they, as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread in dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And then he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So ends today's reading. Thank you. It is a joy to be here with you this morning and to bring God's word and preach from this passage. Um, Thank you, Matthew, for your kind words. To to back up from what Matthew told you, what you need to know is Matthew's been that kind of friend to me uh, over the last two years in many ways. Uh, So it's my privilege to be here with you and to share God's word with you. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12 this morning. I want to begin this way, though, before we look at our text, before we jump into our text. How many people do we have here are photographers of some sort who enjoy some kind of photography? All right. Now, I may not look this old, but I'm old enough to remember before the digital age of photography. When I first got into photography, I love outdoor photography. When I first got into photography, I was using slide film, which is a thing of the past like rotary phones does not exist anymore. The digital age has changed the way you do photography. When I first started, I paid $8 to have my film processed. Every time I took a picture, I thought, can I afford this shot? 
Then I got a digital camera and I shoot 500 pictures on a trip and think nothing of it because you can catch the moment instantaneously. In fact, I recently got set up on my phone with a tech guy in our church who takes care of tech things for me because I'm not tech savvy. He set me up on the cloud. So now my phone has all these pictures on the cloud. Pictures started, started showing up of things that I didn't even take a picture of. I was there, but somehow they're now on my phone, which freaks me out slightly because someone's apparently following me, videoing me. But you can capture the moment. And according to my phone in the iCloud, I have 5,282 moments recorded on my phone. And that moment is easy to capture. We take pictures right and left because you say you don't want to you don't want to forget it. Right. You take the picture so that you can capture the moment and remember it. But then there are those other kinds of moments. Those moments that you don't need any help remembering. Those moments that are etched in your memory. You don't capture these moments. These moments crush you. You've crossed a threshold when this moment happens and life will never go back to being the same as it was before. Maybe it was imperceptible at the moment as you you stepped across this change. But life would be different after this moment. Do you know those kind of moments I'm talking about? Let me tell you two of mine. Memorial Day 2013. 6.30 a.m., I'm having my devotions, and I get a call from my mom to say, Dad had a heart attack. They have put him on a a medevac, and they're taking him to the hospital right now as we speak. Drove down with my wife, arrived in the hospital room, walked into the room, spent hours waiting for them to finish surgery and give us news, can we see Dad? And then we walk into the room, and there's my dad, who's never even been sick. And he's lying there. His skin is green because of the dye they've given him. There's a breathing tube jammed in his mouth. He can barely open his eyes. We mumble a prayer. And then we step out of the room because Dad can't even experience us there with him for more than a few moments. That moment gets superimposed with another moment. This is how these things happen. And it's one snapshot in my mind, but it occurred... A day later, when I walked into that same room, the, the feeding tube was out, the breathing tube was out. Dad could speak, and he was clutching a teddy bear. And you would laugh at a 60-year-old man clutching a teddy bear, except this teddy bear is there so that when he coughs, he can squeeze to prevent his chest from tearing open from the violence of the spasms. That moment's etched in my mind. I won't forget that. I won't walk past that moment. I'll tell you another moment that's etched in my mind. October of last year, my son, then one-year-old, had surgery to amputate one of his toes and do reconstructive surgery. He had a genetic deformity that required this surgery. We enter the surgery. We pass him off to an anesthesiologist. And we go out and we sit in the waiting room and we wait. And we wait for two hours. And then they say, you can meet with the surgeons now. And they fill us in. And they show us pictures his foot with stitches and what they've done because it's now on a cast and we can't see. And they say, you may go see your son. They send us to a recovery room. We go, we push a button to be admitted into the recovery area and the doors open and we walk in and it's a long hall and it turns to the left at the end. And as I enter that hall, I can hear my son not saying, daddy, I can hear my son screaming like an animal in pain. I know it's him, but it does not sound like him. And I walk around the corner and I see him, hair lank from sweat, 
straining against the nurse to hold him and crying in agony and pain. And we held him. We did our best to comfort him. It was a full half an hour, 40 minutes before the anesthesia wore off and he began to be something like our little boy again. That moment is etched into my mind. What's your moment? What's your moment that made life irreversible? When you crossed some threshold and something changed. Maybe it was in a hospital like like mine had been. Maybe it was standing beside a casket and looking at the, the still body of someone who once loved you and is now gone. Maybe your moment was in the voice that said, I do, till death do us part, said, I'm done. This is finished and I don't want it to work out. We cross moments in our life. Things that happen to us. Or moments that we we do. We step across the line and the consequences come crashing down on us and life will never be the same again. It's two of my moments. Multiply those by your moments. Every person sitting here. How much weight do these moments have? And what would it require? Could there be a moment that could outweigh all that? Could there be a moment of such significance, of such depth, of such mass, of such gravity, that it changes our moments? Our text this morning is such a moment. Our text this morning is recorded in all three of the synoptic Gospels. It's referenced in the Gospel of John, and Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 11. This moment is etched in the mind of the disciples. Something happened here of such irrevocable significance that it changed everything. And it changes our moments. If we see, as we stand before this text, what is going on, how the world has altered from this moment forward, our moments are changed too. We're going to look at three three moments that together make one snapshot of what's going on here to make this moment so weighty. Before we look at that, would you pray with me? And ask for the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Lord Jesus, even in just a few moments, we've talked about the dark underbelly of life. And the things that scar and wound and stain us. And yet we stand before a passage that that if we could see what is really going on here. We'd be changed. Our moments would be stamped with this moment. So Lord, would you come by your spirit and create space this morning for us to grasp the significance of what's going on in this passage. Would you speak by your spirit and the power and to the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. What is it about this moment that gives it such significance? First thing we see. First moment in this snapshot. The preparation. Look at the beginning. The very first verses of our passage. Verse 12. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? That's going to dominate the next five verses. This preparation. But we need to know something of the preparation that's gone on to prepare for this moment. Because this moment has been prepared for for centuries. 
This moment of the Passover has a long history. We read the text this morning, Exodus chapter 12. This is the background to this moment. When God's people are deep in bondage, when they have no way out, and the Lord comes on a night and he redeems. If you're not familiar with it, let me tell you what happens. They're at slavery in Egypt, God's people. There's no way out. There is no human deliverance. But they've cried to the Lord, and God has heard their cries. And he sent Moses, and Moses has brought the plagues. He is God's prophet, and the plagues have fallen on the nation of Egypt. And God has brought this mighty nation to its knees. But the people of Israel are still in bondage until this night, the Passover night. And on this night, God says, I will redeem you. And he does it by visiting destruction upon the nation of Egypt. Every firstborn of every living being in the nation of Egypt, with the exception of the house of Israel, dies. It says in the chapter, there is weeping over the entire land of Egypt, an entire nation mourning over the death of so many firstborns. But Israel is spared. And here's why Israel is spared. Not because of anything unique about them, but because there is bloodshed in their behalf. The Lord says, here's what you do. You take a lamb and you kill that lamb and you rub his blood on your house. You rub it on the lintels of your doorpost and that will be the sign and the angel will pass over your house and you will not die. And then just as we heard this morning, he says, this will be the feast for you. You'll even number your days from this. This is the first day of the year from this moment on because of what happens here. And you remember, so through the long centuries, Here's what God's people have done. Here's the preparation. They have sacrificed a lamb every Passover night, and they eat the lamb. And at some point during the celebration, someone, a child, a spouse, a family member, asks the question, what does this service mean? What does this night of remembrance mean? And the head of the house says this, this is the Lord's Passover. For the Lord struck down the people of Israel, but he passed over us. This is what we remember. Now, feel the weight of this moment. Centuries of this happening. Centuries of sacrificing this lamb and waiting and wondering, when will redemption finally come? In Israel, they say, on this night we were redeemed. On this night we will be redeemed. So they sacrifice and they wait. And this is the preparation for this night. And it is on this night that Jesus enters Jerusalem and prepares the Passover. Those long, the shadow of those long centuries and the stain of all those lambs blood haunts this moment. Now look what happens. The disciples ask the question. They say, we want to prepare the Passover. Where do we go? Jesus' response is long and lengthy. The disciples get one one question at the beginning, and they get one summary sentence at the end. They went and prepared. The rest is all Jesus. He gives them instructions. You'll meet a man carrying a jar of water. It would have typically have been a woman, so this is a sign that marks, marks this man out. Now, no, but none of the gospel writers tell us, how did Jesus know this? It's either a miracle that he knew miraculously this man's going to be there, and he's going to happen to be serving the house, or he prepared in advance. And this is a prearranged signal so that he could enter without being arrested and still celebrate the Passover within Jerusalem. But do you hear the accent either way? Whose initiative? Who's preparing this moment? It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus at work here. The disciples ask the question. It's their hands laying out the table. But Jesus is the architect of this moment. He is setting it up. He is taking the initiative. He is, he is making this happen. So many of our moments, those moments we talk about, they, we're victims of those moments. They strike us and we're helpless as something is done to us. But this moment doesn't strike Jesus unaware. This moment doesn't catch him off guard. He is preparing for this moment. He is the one initiating. And God himself, for those long centuries, has been preparing this moment. This moment when Jesus will take the last Passover. He is the one preparing. But there's another moment that's etched in this moment. It's the betrayal. Because this is an intimate moment. This is, this is a, a meal shared together. You picture, they've come into the, the city. They're eating the meal. They're going through the ceremony that every one of these Jews would have done many times before. And then suddenly something happens to jar that note of fellowship. Look in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 18. As they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to him, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Our first moment is the preparation. Here's the betrayal. You feel the weight of it? Can you imagine sitting there with the 12 men closest to Jesus? The 12 men who have been with him through his, his public ministry. And Jesus interjects, by the way, one of you will betray me. Not just someone on the outside, not one of the 70, not one of the crowds, one of you. One of you who is dipping bread into the dish with one of you who is sharing this table with me right now. One of you will betray me. This is not just an accident. This is not just a mistake, something that Jesus is the victim of. This moment, too, has been prepared. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 41. Way back to the middle of the Old Testament, Psalm 41. Psalm 41 is a psalm of David. It's a psalm where David laments both his own sin and the men who are out against me. He says in verse 5, My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, this is coming to see David, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Verse 9. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. This moment, when King David is betrayed by one of his own closest friends, is the moment that Jesus walks into, deliberately, it's Jesus who exposes and says, one of you will betray me. It's Jesus who deliberately enters this situation where he will be stabbed in the back, as we say. Just pause and think about that. It's so easy for us to picture 
Jesus as God, as the Son of God, the all-powerful one, the one who made the stars, who flung creation into existence, and forget when he enters our, his, our world, he comes as God and as man. How do you think it felt for a man to be betrayed by the person closest to him? Do we think because he's Jesus that he brushes over this moment? That this experience that David laments, the one I trusted, he's turned his back on me. Do we think that didn't affect our Savior? Listen, if you've been betrayed here, I I know what happens. You think in that moment when the person who shouldn't have ever done that did that to you. You feel so alone. No one knows what this is like. No one understands the pain I am going through. Here's this moment where Jesus says, I know. I came deliberately so that I might be betrayed. I chose Judas knowing he would betray me. I spent three years loving him, knowing he would turn his back on me. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and entered our world, and he experienced everything we experience. He walked this road of betrayal. And can you imagine knowing it's coming and not flinching from it? Not withdrawing from Judas? Not stepping back so that you're not hurt as much, but fully and openly allowing yourself to be cut down. That's the significance of this moment when the table fellowship of the Passover meal is broken by the Lord Jesus saying, one of you will betray me. Your Lord knows your sufferings. Your Lord knows what it's like to live in a sinful world, cut bleeding, bruised by sinful men and sinful women. He was betrayed. He was betrayed. This moment has been prepared for. This betrayal has been embraced by the Lord himself. But there's one more snapshot that makes this moment so weighty. The fulfillment. The fulfillment. Look back in our our verse, Mark 14. Flip back there. Mark 14, verses 22 through 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the last Passover, because in this moment, all that the Passover pointed to finds fulfillment. There will be no more lambs slaughtered after this night. There will be no more blood put on the lentils after this night, because the Son of God has come, and He has fulfilled the Passover, and it is done. And look at what he says. Take, this is my body. He's broken bread before. You remember Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 8. He's done this twice. He's blessed it. He's broken it. He's been the provider. Like Moses bringing manna in the desert. He has provided for the people of God. 
Now in this moment, he is both provider and provision. Because he himself will be broken to provide food for his people. He says, take this cup. This is my blood of the new covenant. Pour it out for many. Here's the shadow cast over that moment. All the way back to Exodus 24, when God makes his first covenant with his people. And they slaughter bulls and goats and they take blood and they throw it on the altar and then they throw the blood on the people. And Moses said, by this, a new covenant is made. This moment, it's no longer bulls and goats being slaughtered. This moment is no longer people standing at the base of Mount Sinai while God sits on on top of Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning and a few chosen people come up. God has come lower than Mount Sinai. When he says, take, this is my blood of the new covenant, he himself will be the sacrifice. And he will pour out his blood, you see, for the many. For the ones, Isaiah 53 says, that he will be numbered among the transgressors. He will pour out his blood for them. He's provision. He's the sacrifice. He's the fulfillment And look, he says, this cup. If you know the story of the rest of Mark 14, you know where this cup is going to take him. It's going to take the one who has been in control of every moment and in command of every situation. This cup will be what he will taste in the garden and say, Lord, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. If there is any way your people can be saved other than me drinking this cup, experiencing your full, total, and complete wrath, Lord, let it be because I shrink from this moment. And he knows it's coming. And still here, he says, this cup is my blood poured out for many. Take. Think of the whole history of the human race. Take and eat. And Genesis chapter 3 plunged us into ruin. Now God will die so that take and eat can become an offer of salvation to all who are willing to come and eat without price, without cost. This is the moment. This is the fulfillment. The Savior has come. He has come to lay down His life and be the last Passover lamb so that you can come into the very presence of God. In Exodus 24, it's 72 men, 70 elders, Moses and Aaron, and they alone come up and they eat in the presence of God. This morning, you're invited. This morning, no matter what this week has held for you, no matter what you might think fences you off from this table, if you come to Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, slaughtered for you, you are invited to eat with God himself. That's what this moment means. That's the fulfillment of all those long centuries of Passover sacrifices. But even embedded in this moment of such sorrow and gravity, There's a note of joy. Did you catch it at the end? Look how Jesus ends. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day.
when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You ever wondered why the Lord's Supper, the meal we celebrate his death, the most significant moment of our salvation, have you ever wondered why that's merely bread and wine? And when Christmas rolls around and we celebrate his birth, we load the tables with feasting. They groan under the weight of all the food. Why such a sparse fare here? Because this isn't the real feast. This isn't the final moment. And this isn't the final fulfillment. We take bread and we take wine because we remember Jesus said, I will not drink of this again until I come back. And I drink this in the kingdom of God with all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation whom I have bought by my blood and brought into the presence of God. And in that moment, we will feast. And in that moment, there will be no no more moments of scars and tears. This moment will embrace and consume all those moments, all our moments, and the Lord himself will wipe away every tear. This is the fulfillment. This is the last Passover. And this is the Lord's table that he invites us to this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are the final sacrifice. And so, Lord, we come this morning with nothing else to offer but faith in you clinging to your promise that your blood was poured out for us and your body was broken for us and that now those who were once your enemy have been welcomed at your table. Lord, I pray for any here this morning who do not yet know you as their sacrifice, their substitute. Lord, even now, would you open their hearts? And Lord, would you draw us into your presence as we stand and take from this table this meal that you have laid for us by your death in our place. Jesus, do this for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen.